we want to act as a translation layer between what's happening on like the performance marketing side to the creative end. So ultimately you're building better creative that's scale in the ad account. Snackable content from brand builders, e-commerce and growth marketing leaders, giving you actionable insights you can apply today. Bite-sized podcast with Daniel James. So for anybody who's been listening to Bite Size for some time, creative being the variable is a statement largely agreed upon by myself and most of my guests, whether that's a brand founder or a marketer. And let's break down what effective marketing is. It's images, videos, copy, structured in a way to drive an action. To develop a creative that drives action, you have to understand creative performance and use that as a feedback loop into your creative strategy, your media buying, your creative optimization teams. At Fly Performance, we use Motion. So Motion is a creative reporting platform that visualizes creative performance and uses really easy to understand metrics that are mapped to the consumer funnel. So from thumb stop ratio to ROAS, making it so easy to understand not just performance, but where you need to optimize. Not only that, it's a huge time saver. We estimated that since using Motion across the agency, we've saved our teams two days a week from manual data pools allowing them to test and analyze creative far more efficiently and get winning creatives and really help drive performance. Creative is the variable. Evan, welcome to Biosized. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute honor, sir. No, the, the honor is all mine. Um, so Evan, you are head of creative strategy at Motion. For anybody who doesn't know you though, um, tell us your three minute kind of career story, where it started and, and as head of creative strategy at Motion, kind of what you're doing now, what's your remit? Yeah, it's been a super fun journey on my end. I started out in like the corporate world with corporate giants and entities just on the brand and marketing side. I was actually very focused on, on commercial real estate rather than something that's a lot flashier. And what that meant is I was uh, doing a lot of print advertising, surprisingly. So when everyone is going digital, I was going print. It gave me a lot of foundations, I'd say just on the brand side, but ultimately, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners who have felt or have experienced through their friends, uh, big companies kind of suck in the sense of if you have ownership and want to make decisions, you can't really do so. So after, after starting the career there, made it over to a, a digital marketing agency, very similar to like a mint on your ends. And what I got to do is just everything a media buyer would. So run ads, start to finish across all different types of platforms, work with creative teams, work with clients, every single hat you needed to wear. And that really allowed me just to like understand the game a little bit more. Nothing nothing uh, beats that hands-on experience of being in ad accounts, working with clients, making sure we could scale those budgets, scale the ultimate returns. And then where that ultimately landed me is, is moving from agency world and the services side over onto the SaaS side. So being motion, I know I'll talk about motion probably in a little bit, but as a high level piece, motion is a SaaS platform focused on creative reporting, creative analytics, as it relates to paid advertising for now. And it's the perfect fit, man, in all honesty. Like it was a spot where I was the ultimate buyer of motion. So being able to slot into a company and move more so from like a user level with a specific job to be done, more to like a consultant level, let's call it, working with so many different brands and agencies, it's been absolutely incredible. The team's amazing. We're growing now. Uh, so a lot of good things. A lot of good things. Awesome. I've, I've got some experience in prints as well. Nice. People still do that. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they, they do. They must. It depends, on the, it depends on the industry. Like there's so many things that happen and like even print can be direct mailers. So straight to someone's house, like what's ending up into their actual like mailboxes, surprisingly, right? So a lot of stuff going down. 
not to diverge the conversation too much, but I do always remember that in a world now where we have so much data and you'd be selling print distribution on, well, this many people read the magazine. Yeah, do they? Do they though? If it's left on a train, then that's an additional 50 people that will see this ad and therefore the cost is this. Interesting, interesting. So actually, yes, let's let's go back to motion. Fly performance, we use it in terms of our creative reporting. So for people not familiar with motion, like what does it do and, and what problems is it helping brands or marketers kind of solve? Most definitely. So it's a really good one because I gave a little bit of insight, just a granular level being literally creative reporting, creative analytics. But there's the big like, why? Why is that important right now? So everyone who's listening in, I think it's obvious, but we know that creative is the ultimate driver for success, especially when it comes to paid advertising right now. But what it also means is like, if we bring it granular, the two teams who are involved, on one hand, are performance marketers, who a lot more are really analytical in their brains. And then on the other end, we have our creative team members who are more exactly that, creative and conceptual. What makes each of those individual teams so great actually creates a little bit of disconnect even though they need to literally be combined at the hip. So when we're talking about like where motion comes to play, we want to act as a translation layer between what's happening on like the performance marketing side to the creative end. So ultimately you're building better creative that's scale in the ad account. And the way that motion helps this come to life is through creative reporting and creative analytics. For anyone who wants to check it out, like the dashboards are super clean. I'd be happy to talk to you. But like the problem we're solving is ultimately creative first, bridging the gap between media buyers and creative team members and helping a ton of other teams along the way, like our influencer managers, our brand teams, email marketers, whoever it might be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not incentivized to say this, although we do use motion, but it, it, it has been just really pivotal to us because like you said, creative is the variable. In actual fact, if you look at the tools that we as performance marketers have available to us, you know, for looking at performance, making decisions, I think that the crowd jumped down the attribution platform route, you know, post iOS 14 and all those changes, which there's definite benefit there, but actually we've found equal, if not more benefit from actually prioritizing the focus on well, what creative is performing best to us. Like how it makes me happy. Yeah, no, it really does. And then the, the dashboard is so helpful because you know, that visualization and be able to like customize the metrics that you're looking at is is really helpful to understand, especially if you've got good strategy going into it. And we'll talk about this more in, in a minute. I think like where you get the real benefit from something like emotion and just when we say creative strategy in general, like I'm actually keen for your thoughts on what is creative strategy? What does that mean to you? Because, you know, we hear a lot in the world of like, well, creative testing. What we often see when we audit ad accounts and stuff like this is that's actually just a lot of creative. What's your definition of like proper creative testing? How should people be thinking about creative testing? No, oh, this is like the magic button question that I could take in so many different directions. I think, and pick at me if you have questions along the way, of course, but like the first two things that come to mind for me are, are number one, how you're speaking about creative being so important. And then at your agency, like leading with a creative first approach, so important. And to anyone who's listening in on the brand side, I think it's important to like unpack why creative is so important. Like we can get married to the idea that like, yep, sure, I'm just going to blindly shake my head and nod my head and say, I know creative is important. But it starts to become like, what questions do we need to answer that make our creative so impactful? So what I mean by that is like, when it comes to the creative process, there's so many people involved. 
not only are those granular teams are involved, but when we're thinking about like directors of performance marketing, or if we're thinking about brand uh, directors, creative directors, anyone there, what they really want to do is, of course, they want to make the company more money. But what they also need to do is take that granular insight and distill it across so many different teams. So it's like there's the granular performance that then needs to be spread across. And then the entire org is going to care about this because like, again, efficiency and money. That's the first thing that comes to mind. But really, to answer the main question there, Daniel, uh, when we talk about my definition of creative strategy, I actually bring it to a process, more or less. So I think of it as a set of steps that if you follow these steps, you're able to output the greatest creative consistently. Now, I have visuals for anyone who wants to check us out, but just to take you through like a, like a verbal statement of what this looks like, is first of all, what I like to do in this creative strategy process to bridge the gap is that we're focusing our research as the very first step. Before you can start building your creative, you need to start understanding who you're building it for at the end of the day. So research is gonna allow you to build personas. After you've gone through your research, the next phase that I like to categorize is ideation. And ideation is all about determining, hey, I have this persona. What are the hooks, the angles, the value props, and all of the different directions I can go against that actually match what the persona is looking for? So a prioritization model. After you go through research and ideation, this is arguably one of the hardest pieces here, and that's actually briefing. So briefing what that's going to do, it's going to translate all of the great work that you've done and actually then say, hey, creator, hey, creative team, whoever it might be, this is exactly what I need from you in a clear and concise way. So briefing it out. And there's a, I can continue down this road with a couple more, but after we brief, of course, we need to create. So all of the different ways that we can create, whether it's studio based, iPhone shot, that kind of stuff. And then the final three steps here are just diving after into the creation side. We're looking at evaluation. So meaning before we go live, has it met all of the criteria that's gonna serve the persona? We then launch it into the ad accounts where our media buyers start to take over, get some of those insights. And then the final step here is looking into creative analytics. So it's, we've run these creatives live in these ads. What is the data telling us? How can we make decisions off of this data to better inform how to serve these personas? And then we continue in that flywheel. So the summary there is like one research, two ideation, three briefing, four content creation, five evaluation, six launch. And then the last step there is creative analysis. And then we flywheel that bad boy and we're good to go. So that's really what it means to me, in all honesty. Is there an acronym there for those seven steps? There's gotta be. There should be. So what I what I call it, it's less of an acronym, but I put this into a bucket of a creative sprint. So remember how we kind of started the conversation where on one hand we have our media buyers and then the creative team on the other side of it. And I spoke about how motion helps bridge the gap between the two teams. And really, if we extrapolate beyond just motion, how you're bridging the gap between these two teams is through this uh, consistent like creative strategy flywheel of a creative sprint. So every week you can go through those seven steps I was mentioning to ultimately produce creative that everyone's on board against. Beautifully explained <laughs> and, and on the money. And, and and that was the lead into that that answer is exactly where we see people, you know, sh I think struggling because everyone in this industry understands creative is the variable. Sorry to use that phrase, but it, I mean, it really is. When you think about, even if you zoom out a little bit more, you know, like what we're trying to do is put an image or a video with some copy in front of people on their phones and desktops to get them to buy something. 
So it is the variable and it's always been the variable. I think the popularity of talking about creative and creative testing is when there's less things you can do in platform to drive a result, you have to then reprioritize creative. But in my mind, being uh, an old dog in this space, it's, it's always been the variable, right? I, I don't like to fall back on, well, you didn't have to, you didn't used to have to have good creative to drive performance, cool. But how much better could your performance have been if you actually did care about how good the creative was? Anyway, that's going off on a tangent. But it's true. Like it's like it's it's very true though, right? Like at the end of the day, like we say now creative is the new targeting, which there's some truth. You have less like bells and whistles to pull, but entirely from the start of this, the better the creative, the better results, hopefully. Hopefully. So I love the way you put it there. I love the way you put it there. Yeah. Thank you. One of the things I wanted to drill down in is because we do the same thing. Right, it's it's research, it's ideation, it's then really understanding well who's the persona, and I think that's the other unlock. Right, is understanding well is it just one persona or is it three? I always use this example of a um, a fitness machine company that we worked with for about a year, and their prior approach to everything was well, advertise everything the machine does to everybody, right? And there was some level of quite decent creative testing happening around that, but when you take that time to do the research and the ideation, as we did, what we actually unpacked was there's actually three core personas. There's there's a a, a, a more elderly um, consumer. What do they care about? That's very different to the Gen Z millennial audiences and what they care about. And so then crafting creative that speaks specifically to those target consumers is so important. And that's how, for me, like that's the, the plus up of what you were just mentioning is and that comes out in the research stage and the ideation stage. That specificity then provides you a foundation for what we call creative testing, right? Because then you can start testing different variations of positioning products based on who your target consumer is. We won't go down this path too far, but then for us, then that's like aligning it to a customized landing page, that landing page that aligns with the creative and, and everything else. And that's where I start to see how creative testing and creative strategy really starts to drive a business forward. Entirely. And honestly, like I agree once we're, cause there's almost two different variations going on here. There's, there's the net new creative creation, uh, for lack of better words. So once you have the persona, what's the very first thing you're going to build in order to start collecting some data. And I, and I'm, and I believe I'm with you. Like there's some cohesion needed between the ad experience of someone's first touch ultimately being driven to the landing page. But the really interesting thing too, is like, after you collect some data, there's a lot of iterative opportunities too. So when we're looking at iterations, we start to learn things uh, in your example, like the older demographic graphic, are they actually resonating with quick cuts, short videos? Is that hitting? Or does it actually need to be longer form content? Whereas the Gen Z's might be opposite. It really does need to be those quick cuts. So a lot of cool things to break it down in there. Yeah, 100%. So going back a little bit, when you were at your marketing agency, uh, and like you said, motion was probably, you were like that tool allowed you to understand these data points and everything else. The interplay between creative strategists and media buyer, um, this this may be more from like a, a team org perspective, but I think it's a important conversation. How do you see that working the best? Like what's the interplay of a creative strategist with a media buyer? It's a big conversation, right? Because some people will say, well, to be a good media buyer these days, you have to understand and drive creative strategy. That's a gem of a person, right? Who could understand media buying, data analytics and everything else and be in platform and stay on top of platform changes, as well as understand 
how to perform the research and the identification of the target personas. What's your take? What works the best? How should brands and agencies be thinking about creative strategy and media buying? A really good question. And like, uh, I'll take it two separate directions, but there's the should and then there's the reality for your listeners, right? Because when we talk about the should, at Motion, we evangelize the creative strategy role. Those seven steps that I mentioned earlier is owned by the creative strategist. So literally pulling in people where required. If it's content creation, let's go find those creators. If it's launching, let's make sure the media buyers have what they need to scale the accounts at the end of the day. So when we talk about like the should bucket, I really believe that the creative strategist should own everything from doing the initial research, building out the hooks and everything else that's going on there, um, briefing it out to the different teams, working with content creators to produce what's required, evaluating and ensuring everything's good, and then actually working with media buyers to like not only give them what they need to launch in the ad accounts, but working with them to understand what's happening after that's in the account. So getting data points that are required. I believe that's the ideal setup. And there's a lot of great brands who are embodying a lot of this, like Huel, um, based on, I believe, your initial neck of the woods, absolutely crushing it there with their structure. But I also don't want to like completely ignore the reality. Like Sometimes it's hard to make sense from a cost perspective to loop in that creative strategist. So what you'll hear me often refer to creative strategy is, um, at least in the short term, is actually a hat that somebody can wear. So what I mean by that is like media buyers who are ultimately living in the ad accounts, you have a purpose. Like you're making sure that things are set up correctly. You're making sure that you understand the algorithm and what it wants to accept. So the best creatives are being produced. There's still a role there for sure at the end of the day. But where a media buyer might step out of just like, let's call it the media buying comfort zone, is they might actually put their creative strategy hat on. And what that could mean is when we're talking about researching personas, instead of just like blindly giving away data, you're good at data, so read it. It's like, what's actually going on in there? Like, who are the demographics we're serving to? What are the age group that the algorithm is preferring? And what is the creative that's ultimately resonating? Because that can help you build out personas from a data point. And all you need to do is loop in maybe someone from a brand team or the founder of your company to say, okay, what else do we believe to be true about these personas? So that's a hat that you can put on. And that hat extends, man. Like, it's not just, it's not just media buyers. Like, in a sense... Um, if we think about everyone who jumps into to Canva to create different creatives, whether you are a media buyer yourself or you're a creative strategist or you're a creative team member, like essentially what you're doing is, is you're deciding to put the creative strategist hat on yourself. You're saying, what should we make? Let's strategize around what we do. And once you're in Canva, you're like, okay, let me take that off. Now here's my other hat. I'm a content creator. I'm in Canva banging this stuff out. So that's where I kind of, uh, as a summary point, that's where I take it back to those seven steps that I'd mentioned. If you really are able to break that down, really those are the steps and the jobs to be done. And once you know the jobs to be done, it's easier to divide it amongst your existing team rather than making another hire in the short term is how I think about it. So that's how I break it down like the should situation. I do believe creative strategists are needed, but then the reality, I want to meet people where they are who are listening in. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I really like how you broke that down. We've moved towards and are now operating in the, in the should category. We have creative strategists and media buyers, but for a while we were decorating, you know, where media buyers were wearing many different hats and it worked, but I think the specificity of focus is, is beneficial at some levels of scale. When we're talking data and we're talking about understanding how a creative is performing, right? There's, there's some obvious metrics that I'm sure people will focus on, but how do you, how do you advise, how do you look at 
creative performance from a data perspective to help make decisions. Uh, do you want me to go the route of like net new creatives where there isn't much data available? Or do you want me to start with like, we've run some assets and now I what do we do? The, yeah, I think that's the most applicable place, right? Well, let's actually take it in two roles. So net new creative, and then you mentioned iterations, right? So when you're finding a creative that's performing, people talk about that you could iterate off the back of that. What does that actually mean? So let's start with net new. They're both super fun and I get pumped up about both. So it's cool. So when we talk about when we talk about metrics, when we're when we're in a net new creation standpoint, so there might not actually be a lot of ad data per se available, right? So how I break down metrics is actually just like information that's available to you. And with information that's avail available to you, there's almost like two buckets that it falls into. Like what do you know or what do you believe to be true? And then the second thing, what are people saying about you? So in the bucket of like what you know to be true, this is where you can start to look at like the back end of your Shopify, who's actually buying from you, who has the highest LTV, what are the products they're purchasing as they enter, looking at historical performance across other channels that you might have available to you. That's the the what we know to be true or what we believe to be true, essentially. But then the other input when we're thinking about net new creative to build out uh, like different personas is thinking about what people are saying about you. So this is where you can actually comb the web if you're selling on Amazon, great, but if not, wherever it might be, you can just start to look at reviews of what people are actually talking about. You can look at comments on, on your organic posts to understand what people are saying about you. And then you can look at your tagged posts on the actual, whether it be Instagram based or anywhere else to see the look and feel of how people are actually speaking about you. So that allows you to accomplish just like an overall persona of who you'll serve to with minimal data available to you. So I keep it broad when we think net new creative. And then the other side there, Daniel, is like the, the iterative side. And this is the part that um, I get I get zapped into because I'm more on the, the right side of my brain being the data end. And uh, I think the obvious is bottom line metrics. We don't want to ignore that, right? Whether it be uh, CPA-based, ROAS-based, cost per lead-based, we, we know that's the goal ultimately. But when I think of iterations, this is where it starts to come back to uh, just key metrics on the engagement side leading up to the bottom of funnel metrics. So what that can start to look like, some of it's probably controversial, but if we're thinking videos, where I start first is like thumbnail retention. Then I move to our thumb stop ratio or hook rate. Then I move to our hold rates. After our hold rates, finally, I'm looking at like our unique, uh, whether it be link clicks or CTR based to see who goes to the website. And then once they're there, I'm looking at conversion rates. So those five pieces give me the entire funnel so I can diagnose exactly what's going on. With these metrics, why I pause is like, there's, there's so many different ways you can analyze it, right? Like when I talk about thumbnail retention, thumbnail retention is all about number one, are we giving the algorithm something to read that they want to serve? So it's like, do I have the appropriate text overlays? Am I showing the product? So Facebook meta can start determining who this goes to. But then the other thing is, is like, if I'm in a feed and someone's scrolling through their feed and they see a, a whack thumbnail coming up and they don't want to continue, it's like, well, I need someone to continue scrolling. I need a strong thumbnail to encourage that. So we can break down so many different metrics. And I'm guessing in a second, we'll talk more about like the relationship between these metrics and what they could mean. Let's do that. And, and here's, here's my take a little bit on some of that as well and why I think it's really important because like you said, the ultimate objective of any creative, especially if you're an e-commerce brand, right, is to, is to drive profitable CAC, right? It's super obvious. We won't go into the different ways of measuring overall performance that's, that's, for, that's for another another time. What I think is important though, to your point is, well, if you're at a pretty scaled place, 
you know, you're spending a decent amount of money. There's creatives that aid in the lower funnel performance of other creatives. And I think that's a really important thing that people can potentially miss. And yes, this this is rounded out by other tools, like maybe attribution tools and, and or maybe post-purchase surveys, but there's the very classic scenario of, well, I'm running a creative on, let's say, YouTube, right? I've got no real direct conversions, but it's driving a shit ton of traffic to my site. That's helping you collect email subs. That's helping in other metrics. And this other creative is performing from a direct response, lower funnel conversion standpoint. But the broad awareness is happening across over on your YouTube, right? Because it's just reaching so many people that didn't know about the brand. What creative is performing better? And does one perform well without the other? And I think that's a really hard thing for brands to, or marketers to even understand and quantify, right? Because we want that direct measurable result and we want to see it. And we want to have that comfort level of, no, I can see the one-to-one relationship between this creative and this sale. And therefore that's the only creative I care about. But I think that can be a, a diminishing return approach to when you think about creative. What's your take? Very, very interesting. Cause like, I, I'm definitely someone who leads into to sale is important there, but it's also when I, when I hear you chat, like what I think about is um, when and where to iterate. Like that's something that's big that comes to mind. Cause ultimately it's like the relationships between data. We might not be able to directly point to a sale, but there are leading indicators to tell us yes or no. So when I think of like where we can potentially iterate on specific creatives, uh, I like to think of like two buckets. The the first bucket is the most obvious and it's something that's already doing well in all honesty, right? Like we know it's going to stay live and we want to make our changes off of it. But something that I work with a lot of brands on is actually focusing on like low hanging fruit for where there's potential. So let's go through a quick example if we can here. So on the on the meta side of things, a couple of the metrics that I had mentioned that we can care about are things like our hook rates or our thumb stop ratios and then our conversion rates. So first, Let's talk hook rates and thumb stop ratios. So what those are essentially measuring for anyone who might not be in the loop there is it's actually measuring how many people watch the first three seconds of a video before doing anything else. And in layman terms, why that's important is because we need someone to stop a scroll before they click to go anywhere else at the end of the day. So a hook rate there, we want it to be as high as possible, ideally, and that's where people get excited. But the part that I'll add is a caveat here, just to continue with the example, is that second metric I had mentioned is conversion rate. If we have a high conversion rate, we know people are buying at the end of the day. So when I talk low hanging fruit, what I've worked with was on some brands on like areas of iteration is we'll actually look for instances where the thumb stock ratio isn't great, but the, uh, the conversion rate is nice and high. So that ultimately means that people aren't stopping their scrolls, but those who are stopping are buying at the end of the day. So an example of what we can do with something like this is we can say like, hey, for this creative here, creative team, let's make two new versions. One with a different thumbnail in first three seconds and a second one just with a different thumbnail, nice and easy. And if we're trying to figure out what that needs to look like, uh, of course the creative team can be creative, but this is where you can look to that top performer of what's already crushing it. Because what we're intending to do here on this low hanging fruit side is increase that thumb stop ratio, but maintain a similar conversion rate because the overall story is crushing it. So I, I know, Daniel, I didn't answer your question specifically on like sometimes tying to the bottom line is hard, but try to tell the story of like how we can make it all work in harmony potentially is where I'm at. No, that perfect response. No, it's, I think it's great. And that clarity of 
you know, what does iteration mean? That's a great example of it. You know, I think sometimes I just get the sense there's a lot of talk of creative testing and iteration and people don't maybe know exactly how to do it. And so I think like that's a great example of, well, some of these leading indicators aren't great, but the conversion is great. How do we leverage that to improve the collective creative that we're, that we're testing and running? I think that specificity of thinking is probably super helpful to um, a lot of people listening. Yeah, I, I hope so. And like with the other metrics I would have mentioned beyond just, again, thumb stop or hook rate there, like when we're thinking about our hold rates, you can do similar pieces. It's like, how do I play with my CTAs to get more people to click? How should I adjust the length of my length of my videos to match when people are naturally dropping off? So there's a lot of things the data will tell you and allow you to determine where to make those changes. That's just one example that comes to mind for me. The conversations like this is is what makes me regret calling bite sized because there's so much to unpack. <laughs> we need like a round two, a hundred percent already. I know I know we need a round two. Um, a couple more, couple more things. This is maybe a little bit uh, provocative. Um, make make ugly ads is I saw someone wearing a hat the other day that said make ugly ads <laughs> and fair play if that's what's working is it is it ugly ads that work Evan help us out here from someone who sees a lot of creative that is either working or not working so I have to I have to give Barry some love so Barry hot on Twitter he's the one who pushes pushes make ugly ads and like Barry's amazing he's not by the way Barry, yeah Barry is Barry a pheno- amazing. phenomenal guy super smart met him at, um where was I? I think it was Austin. Uh, yeah, it was oh. Austin. It was Austin for a triple whale event. Really cool guy, and obviously knows his stuff. Right? So this isn't this isn't a sub tweet. It's the general <laughs> consensus of do like do ugly ads perform? And I yeah. get the point, right? But um, what's your take? I, I'm jealous. First of all, I haven't had a chance to meet too many people in real life, so that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but my take on this is like the ugly ads. Why I love it is such a strong hook. People are listening. He's literally making a real life ad there to get people to be hooked in and want to listen. I think when I when I when I move it back to like my definition and talking about metrics, what I hear within make ugly ads is make modular ads. So what that happens is is like you're looking at it from a thumbnail perspective. You're looking at it from a thir- first three seconds perspective. You're looking at it from a post three second experience, from a CTA experience, and that list continues, right? And what can happen is like once you start to collect data, you kind of realize you got to make that ad ugly. You're like, when my hook sucks, like to go back to my previous example of conversion being nice and high, I'm not stopping enough people, but I know the story is crushing it. So my problem solution might be perfect, but I'm just not getting enough eyeball stopping. So what that's going to make me do, it's going to make me something that might not make sense with the rest of the video at the end of the day. And I think that starts to fall into that ugly bucket. Let's be honest, right? It's now a Frankenstein or something going on there. So so I give it some love. I give it some love. I bring it back to modular. No, I, I agree. I think the intent is the right one. It's you're not trying to make something beautiful from a creative concept, conceptual standpoint. It, if you're trying to drive performance, what you're trying to do is drive performance. And so you need to reflect that. And, and when you look at like the content on so, especially social platforms, it's not often the beautifully curated, stylized creative that is going to work because it just it just doesn't feel right. It, it needs to be native to the platform. So, yeah, there was no shade. Oh, but you know, no shade at all, no shade at all. But you know what, like, the best part of all of this is, Daniel, like, what I get so freaking fired up about when I see it happen. So we're, we're DR folks at the end of the day. We focus on those sales. We need to make sure they happen. 
But the coolest thing that I see with a lot of brands who work with that motion is when the brand teams start to get it. Because all of a sudden what starts to happen is like that age old problem of brand on one side and growth on the other side. We now bridge that because the brand team can actually start to make hooks that are killer and make sense with the rest of the video. So it's not as ugly. So all of a sudden you have a killer DR ad that's now on brandish. That's the part that I'm like, damn, they figured it out. They got it working. That is the place to get to. I could go off on one for so much about how that's the vision of, of flight performance, connecting brand, brand performance. It should never be separate. It should never be separate. You're, tr you're trying to achieve the same thing. Brand, what is brand marketing? It's trying to get an emotive response of people to care about your brand. You don't do that unless you're trying to siphon that engagement down to a sale. So they, they should entirely. And when I talk about the creative strategy flywheel, like a lot of the times when we talk about persona work, that traditionally lives with brand teams at the end of the day. Like who is our buyer? Like where are we serving organic content? Where we actually want to place our ads? Like that kind of stuff lives with brand teams. So this almost, when I talk about those seven steps, it almost like naturally helps that conversation evolve and then takes it to the level you describe on like the sale is the goal at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. Okay, we, we, we couldn't end the podcast without talking about this AI. So how is AI playing a part within creative strategy? How's motion using it? What do you think the future of creative and creative strategy is when we look at all the um, possibilities that AI is, is providing us? I'm definitely going to get in trouble for this one, but we're cooking up some stuff. I don't think I can expose literally what it is quite yet, but we're definitely cooking it up. The more the more generic answer here is like AI, it's nothing to be afraid of in, in the terms of replacing a human or replacing the actual creation, I believe personally, but I think it's really going to enhance everything that we have going on. So for example, these might be a little bit generic for everybody, but like, for example, I, I keep bringing it back to the creative strategy flywheel. But when we talk about research, think about it. Before AI, it's us manually going into all of the data. It's us manually going to all different press websites to pull this information. Now, in a world with AI, all you're doing is just giving it the information. You're saying, scrape Amazon for all of my top reviews and all of my worst reviews. You're saying, here's an uploaded spreadsheet. Who is the ideal buyer? What are those common threads between everything there? So it's just like really empowering people to get to those personas a lot faster at the end of the day. And that continues through the entire flywheel, right? Like when we're thinking about categorizing and prioritizing what hooks and angles work best there, there's a lot of pieces just saying like, hey, stitch together what you think. Like when I think of a, uh, like a foreplay in Zach's world, what he's built there, like he's used generative AI in briefing to help build out what does a modular video look like, which is super cool. And then when we continue through this whole process, like we could almost argue the algorithm is is AI in a sense. Like I'm not saying it fully is by any means, but it's smart. It learns over time. It determines who we start to deliver things to. So there's a lot more leaning into the machine at that point. So I'd say that's more of one of my cookie cutter answers, more or less, but I think it's going to have a big role. It's just going to be more empowering rather than replacing anything that's going on. I, I agree. And I'm excited to hear more about what you're cooking up that you can't talk about today. We'll, Going we'll, down. His... We'll chat offline. <laughs> we'll chat offline. Evan, thank you so much, man. Um, so, so much knowledge and so many gems in this conversation. So I'm sure it'll be really beneficial to, to the listeners. Um, is there anything that we didn't speak about that you want to speak about? 
No, man. Honestly, if anyone's interested in checking out Motion, please, please, please come check us out. I'm sure Daniel will throw a link just into the the information section here. But other than that, just want to say big shout out to you, like doing your thing. Congrats on the recent acquisition, running a podcast, crushing it. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. I appreciate it. I appreciate appreciate you. Thanks so much, man. Most definitely. Cheers. Thank you.